as, as Michael mentioned about today's part two of To Be Born Again. And it's a theme that I think we should never be very far away from as a church. And I, it, it always amazes me how in church we stray away from making that our main focus. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> amazing. That was a great, that was a little bit of sound effects there for you. But the born again theme or idea was introduced by Jesus as the only way to the kingdom of God. So it's not like, well, it was just a, a little idea that he had one day, but he said it's the only way to, to enter the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3 is our foundational uh, verse for this. And today I have got a half a ton of scripture. So you need a wheelbarrow to take it all home. But it's, it's all good for you this morning. John chapter 3, verse 3, because I know that these... Uh, this season that we're in is life-changing. It's, it's uh, like navigational points in our life that are going to steer us into what God is desiring for us as individuals and for our church. So I'm really excited for what God's going to do in your hearts this morning. But Jesus replied, John 3 verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus, the Son of God, he declared the exclusive, the unique, the complete, only way to see the kingdom of God was to be born again, to go through this experience or this life change. So it's not a tangent, it's not a side issue, it's not a side angle of Christianity, it is the main point. And as, as uh, believers, as the church, one heart, I want to encourage you to maintain the desire within your life to keep the main focus of of the church to see people born again, to live your life born again. So um, the supernatural, this is a supernatural, spiritual, deep transformation that takes a person, takes an individual from no belief, unbelief to belief. And that's the, the critical moment of uh, transition or transformation in a person's life when they have that take place. And it's the role of every Christian to help others experience that, that change. It's the responsibility of every believer. It's not like, well, the evangelists do that, the preachers do that, uh, my wife does that. It's the responsibility of every believer to help people find Jesus. And it's the primary role of the church to help people find Jesus. So the primary role of the church is to evangelize, is to reach out, is to tell people, to be a clear, uh, a clear window so people can find God through the church. So it's not so we have nice building. It's not so that we can build disabled toilets. It's not so that we can um, do all these wonderful things. It's so that people can find their way to Jesus. So by the way, we've also got Alliston this morning. So uh, we've got a team have gone up to Alliston to minister up there. And I'm always excited with that. And keep Alliston in your prayers because I know we've been there for five years. Is There's a reason. We've got people here this morning who uh, wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for us going to Alliston. So uh, unexpected benefits we've received, but keep that place in your in your in your prayers. Now, getting back to the message, I, I love to get distracted, but Jesus clearly identified himself as the Savior, and in his own words, John fourteen verse six, he says this: Jesus told him, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me." John 5 verse 24, again, Jesus identifying himself. He says, I tell you the truth. 
those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. That's the payoff. That's the reason is we have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins and they have already passed from death into life. That's this born again experience. Our old life without Christ was dead, was spiritually you know, kaput. Our new life in Christ is eternal, is powerful and we pass into that when we put our faith in Jesus. So Jesus is the foundational element of the Christian faith. So we, we need to keep some of these, these things, I'm just providing a platform for where we're going to go this morning. And um, if you want to get the, the other half of this message, uh, check it out on our website, um, yeah, on our website and our podcast, all those sorts of things. I'm not up with the technology. It's hard for me. I'm on the wrong end of the spectrum. But at that decision point of salvation, when one accepts Christ, is is not about doing anything, but believing Jesus is Lord. Now that can really be a hard thing, what I just said, for some people to understand and adapt, and mostly among people who have been in church for too long. You say, can you be in church too long? Yes, when you start to start to incorporate uh, ungodly patterns of uh, what it is to be a Christian in your walk with God. So I want to introduce something this morning, it's called undeserved grace. Now, undeserved grace is what makes the born-again experience possible. It's undeserved. Undeserved or uh, it is an underused um, uh, concept in our explanations of God's intentions to bring people back to him. So everyone say undeserved. We do not deserve it. So Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So do you see what I'm trying to say here? What the Word is telling us is salvation isn't conditional upon our, our life before we accepted God. It's not like, well, be good first, and then you can be saved. Uh, do these things first, and then God will notice you. So it, it's not about that. It says God saved you by grace that is undeserved, and you can't take any credit for it because it's not relying upon what you've done. It relies upon Jesus and his sacrifice that made a way for you. So I'll get, I want you to understand this. If we were to wait until we deserve God's favor, to, to be made right, then no one would ever enter the kingdom of God. Nobody, not anybody who's ever lived could ever do it. So I want to clarify some points this morning that are really, really important on these subjects. Romans 3 verse 22 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So how do we make ourselves right with God? I'll give you some, some questions here. We may right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't say if you pray a lot. It doesn't say if you uh, whip yourself. It doesn't say that if you um, go to Jerusalem. It says if you put your faith in Jesus, you'll be made right with God. And verse 25 says, For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now I know this can be very, very 
fundamental for, for many of us this morning, but where we're going to go to next, I think, is going to shake some things. So when Jesus talked to the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish leaders, and said that to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again, it wrecked their thinking. It offended them. It, it put a cat among the pigeons. It put some dynamite in the, in, in, into their, into their uh, experience and messed their thinking. So the issue that Jesus came to deal with is called sin. And we need to remember that. The issue of sin separates all people from God. Now, we've got to understand, Jesus may not give you the speedboat, but he has dealt with your sin. So oftentimes we start to say, well, God, you let me down. Jesus, you haven't, you haven't uh, um, uh, given me the magic carpet ride of comfort and ease and fun. But you know what? He has dealt with your sin. And when you start to think, well, I don't know if I've got anything to be grateful for, come back to the fundamental that we're talking about this morning. Jesus, you've dealt with my sin. It was undeserved by me. I didn't deserve it. I was a sinner. I wasn't good enough. I failed. I lied. I cheated. Um, I'm just talking about my wife's history there. Not true. It's <laughs> not true. It's the issue of sin that separates. I can say these things when she's not here. But Jesus has dealt with our sin. So what comes next? After the born-again experience, this conversion moment, the big question that I have for you this morning, does conduct matter? So I want to say right now, conduct doesn't matter to you when you want to come to Christ. He's not waiting for you to behave and to perform to be saved. So when I was in school, conduct mattered so much. It mattered so much that I was placed on a conduct card. And what that meant was at every class I had to present to the teacher a card that had, like, had scales on it. Like I can't remember exactly. It had little boxes. It was like really good or, or really not good. And, and they had to give you a tick in one of those areas. And then at the end of the day, I had to present that to the principal of the school. And it was to regulate the conduct. And, uh, and the, the worst part about it was at the end of the day going to the principal with your conduct card because I was not used to staying to the end of school normally. It was like this really, really messes up my plans, messes my whole day. But conduct, here's some, theory, some ideas here. Conduct was assessed during class. It didn't work saying sorry and begging after the bell had gone. So sometimes I'd, I'd go to the teacher and I'd say, well, here, you know, everyone's, they're all just going, I've got to say, sir, miss, can you sign? And look, it did happen more often than I wanted. They'd say, I'm not even going to sign that. Are you joking? I'm not signing. And I, I'd say, come on, please. You know, you know what this means? Because it meant instant, it meant automatic consequences that I didn't want. And it was no point saying sorry and begging after the bell had gone. And it worked even less arguing over the teacher's assessment. And so conduct, I learnt, mattered in the schoolyard. But born again life, the question I have for you, does conduct matter? So Paul, the Apostle Paul, we read about him in the New Testament. He was Saul. God transformed his life. He changed his name to Paul. He's radically born again. 
a really great example of someone who's completely transformed, was going down one trajectory of life, and God interrupts that and then says, I'm going to spin you around. I'm going to put you on a, on a turntable and turn you around and go a whole, a whole different way. Um, he's, he was violently opposed to the church, violently opposed to Christians. And uh, his life was so changed that he then begins working hard to persuade others to believe. He, he wrote most of the New Testament. It has an absolutely huge impact on, on uh, the way in which church sees God today because of how transformed he was. He went from a violent opposer to a church builder. I think that's just so amazing. He was born again. He was transformed with a new purpose from Jesus. And I want to tell you something. We have to see the new purpose in those people who may be violently opposed to the gospel, who may be totally you know, resistant to the things of God, maybe have, have done everything they can to make your life uncomfortable, but we need to see beyond those things with, a, with the purpose of Jesus in their life. So when you're born again, Jesus has a new purpose for you. And so some of us, I think, perhaps haven't discovered what God's purpose is. I want to encourage you today that God has a purpose and God has a greater reason for your life that you just haven't seen yet. So what Jesus has in mind is not behavior modification, it's life transformation. So I'm talking about conduct and it, it sort of doesn't make sense, but it does. So what, when Jesus gets the internal of you, it will be seen on the external. So we consider baptism. It's not a form of ceremony, not a religious ceremony that we do. It is a witness to a transformed life. That's why we baptize people. That's why it's important that we do that. It's not so we, we tick some boxes and say, well, we need to be baptized because it's, it's a, the thing we do in this church. We do that because it's a witness to a transformed life. So 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. Uh, give you um, this is a strange little sideways thing here. Paul writes this. He says, The facts of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was an old school, uh, Old Testament uh, um, idea that uh, God had spoken to the people of Israel before they could convict anybody uh, and, and have them put to death. It said that you can't put them to death unless there is. Uh, the, the witness of two or three witnesses to the crime to which they're being charged. So I'm going to give you five witnesses to what I'm going to say today that give us confidence to what I'm saying actually needs to be done in our lives. So Peter, Paul, James, John and Jude, all men from the New Testament, give us a description of the born-again life. They are our witnesses to the evidence of Jesus in the born-again person. So we're going to look at these, uh, just some of these things. There's, there is just way too much uh, in the Bible to try and uh, give you all, even in, in a few weeks. But I want to show you that um, uh, our conduct matters when we're born again. 1 Peter, oh, sorry, first we'll look at what Peter said. 1 Peter 1 verses 23, 2 verse 1 and 4 verse 2 and 3. And we're not going to look at all of those, just, just going to choose a couple of them. So this is what Peter had to say. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will, that will quickly end, 
your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. I mean, that's amazing that, that Peter is, is saying you've been born again, not just for now, but for eternal. And I want to bring that as, a, as a, uh, a, another brick that we need to apply to our, our perspective, and that is to say, I'm not living for now, I'm living for eternity. My decisions now will affect my eternity. As I said, the conduct card is being written now and you want to be saying it's too late or you've got to know it's too late when the bell goes to say, well, now I'm going to change. Now I'm going to uh, beg for mercy. You've got to know what, what you're, you're living for now and you've got to live for eternal things. So 1 Peter 2 verse 1. This is Peter's advice for the born again. So get rid of all evil behavior. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. He says, get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. He's talking about conduct right now. So I'm not going to answer the question for you. We're going to ask it at the end. The Apostle Paul. We've already been looking at him a lot this morning. Philippians 1 verse 27. uh, It says this, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven conducting yourselves in a manner manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers saying, hey, how do we get right with God? Uh, Live a a life in a a manner worthy of the good news. Uh, Live as citizens of heaven. No, he's he's not telling them that. He's telling the church that. Galatians 5 verse 24, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So um, we're not going to have time this morning, but to, to carry that forward, Galatians 5 verses 16 to 24 give us a difference between Holy Spirit nature and the sin nature. It's really important that we understand those two differences and start to apply them and analyze ourselves in that. So Galatians 5, 16 to 24, there's your homework. So John, another one in the Bible who gives us a description of the born-again life. 1 John 1 verse 6. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Amazing. Who's he talking to? The church. Fourth one, James. Uh, James 1 verses 21 and 22. He says, so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God, um, the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has power to save your souls. He goes on to say, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Again, who's he talking to? Christians talking to the church. Jude 4 verse 1. Jude says this. I say this. This is probably the most direct one. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. So who's he talking to? The church. Some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches saying that God's marvelous grace. Now, forgive me if that's spelt wrong because there's American marvelous and Australian marvelous, or English marvelous, and they're wrong. They're different. And I couldn't tell which one was which. God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago for they have denied our only master and Lord 
Jesus Christ. From what Peter, Paul, John, James and Jude have said, the question for you, you don't have to answer it right now, does conduct matter? Ponder that. Answer that in your own mind. I think it's an important thing not to confuse the arguments in the early church over faith in Jesus compared to observance of Jewish tradition and laws. So it's an incorrect interpretation that labels conduct from the Holy Spirit-influenced character that we receive when we're born again as being under the law. That, that's incorrect uh, in that area. I'll give you this. The evidence of being born again has always been changed people. The evidence of being born again has always been changed life. So I want to clarify something. The law of Moses that the Jews followed is of no value is of no value to make anyone right with God. Now, this gets really confused in churches. I remember once in a church, there were certain things. They wanted things set up in a certain way. And so there, there was a, a guy in charge of the catering team. They're putting out the cups of tea and coffee. They want it done a certain way. So, you know, some passes is a little bit. Just one of these things, you know, it's, and so the, the pastor said, we want it, the cups to look like this. So the, the, the leader of the team's like, I can follow that pastor. And telling the team, the cups have got to be set up like this. And one guy on the team says, I'm not, I'm not coming under that. I'm not coming under the law. This is ridiculous. No. I'm not, I've got, and he left the church because he didn't want to set the cups up the way we'd been instructed. Now, you know what? Then we're not saying unless the cups are set up like that, you lose your salvation. We're not saying that is the way to God is to set the cup straight. It's not that. So, so there's a mass confusion of, of what they mean in, when Paul and others in the Bible talked about you don't obey the law to get saved doesn't mean you have no order or structure in the way you want to set things up in church. Does that make sense to you this morning? So the law of Moses that the Jews followed is what they're talking about when they're saying the law can give you no help. It's no value to make anyone right with God. Um, so... The second little key I want to clarify there is living disciplined in the Holy Spirit that leads away from ungodly behavior is not living under law. It is the result of Jesus living inside you. I'll say that again. Living disciplined in the Holy Spirit that leads away from ungodly behavior is not living under law. It is the result of Jesus living inside of you. So I'm so encouraged about that. So the final point I want you to take home this morning is don't make behavior modification your task. It may sound like a contradiction for what I've just been saying, but don't make behavior modification your task, especially when it comes to somebody else. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament when, when there was, uh, uh, you know, the two kings of Israel and Judah. And there's a time where, uh, I can't remember the king's name, it's not even in my notes, but one of the kings in Israel, uh, in Judah, said, we're going to restore the temple, we're going to have a, 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 what is it, a, um, uh, the Passover celebration, it's all going to be good, they invite everyone. So the, the kingdom's in two, two kingdoms now, there's Israel and Judah, and, and the king of Judah invites all Israel. It says all these people from Israel came and they've all been worshipping idols, they've been sacrificing weird to weird things, they've got you know, idols in their homes, in their town squares over in Israel, but they all come to this, it says those whose hearts were stirred, they all came, they worshipped God, they had an awesome time, they're stirred, and then you know what they did? It says the people of Israel, before they went back to Israel, went all through Judah destroying all their idols and, and uh, uh, places of worship that they had in Judah. 
but they go back to theirs that they, leave, they left intact. It's awesome. It's like, great job, guys. So it's not our, it's not our place to, to do behavior modification. It's not our task to do behavior modification, especially for others. So I know there might be things that think, hey, you know, um, let God do the dealing. And if you, if you do have to confront something, then you've got to be really sure that you're going to do it in the right way with the right level of relationship, that you've built a bridge of relationship, of trust and love that gives you the, the uh, opportunity to speak into that uh, area. So sometimes we, we make this, don't make behavior modification in your life a task. Things like, I'll fast. I'll read the Bible, I'll help people, I'll be good, I'll volunteer, I'll always be there, I'll do whatever I have to do. So there's two results of that. Number one, you do really well and pride will get you. The other angle is you don't do well and condemnation will get you. And Both of them come from the devil. Both of them are unhelpful to your spiritual well-being. So rather, what you want to do is let Jesus into your heart Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out and what happens on the inside will be seen on the outside and let Jesus do the modifications. So Hebrews 12 says this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes. Can I have some musicians come and help me bring something to to this? Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I want to give you two little keys from here that you can take with you this morning. Persevere. Keep believing. When you've been born again, don't don't doubt that experience. Keep believing. Keep walking. Keep on going. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the perfecter of our faith. Let Jesus in to do the transformation. So I think that one of the the huge mistakes we have in our Christian experience is we're thinking it's all about how I do it. You've just been talking about behavior modification uh, and about does conduct matter. I I believe it does, but we've got to let Jesus into the very innermost parts of our life so it's not our willpower, our our desire, our, our trying to make it work. But you're saying, Jesus, you've transformed me so those things are just not there. Those things have been dealt with at the deepest level. So I want to pray for you this morning if we can. Why don't we just stand to our feet this morning? I just want to say a few things before we pray. Perhaps you've struggled with, with you know, the, the issues that, that I've spoken about this morning. But when Jesus gets your internal, it will be seen on the external what we're going to do this morning when I pray is I want to ask you to invite Jesus to deal with your internal, to deal with some of those things that have caused you grief, caused you to stumble. I know there's those who have tried and tried. It's time to get Jesus in. Ask Jesus to deal with your internal. Those who have thought about giving up, get Jesus in. Ask Jesus to deal with your internal. Maybe you're in a situation where you're dealing with someone close who's, you know, you know he's just on a bad pathway, on a bad direction. But you feel powerless to be able to intervene and direct them in the right kind of way. It's hard to influence some people sometimes. But what I want you to do this morning is say, Jesus, 
I want to invite you to intervene in that situation. Jesus, you, you can cry out to God to change you, but they need to cry out to God to change them. They need to let Jesus do that in their life, but we've got to say, Jesus, help me to deal with what I have to deal with. Ask Jesus to deal with your eternal. I think there's another another person or persons here this morning and you've been influenced by the voices that told you to change told you to measure up but it just left feeling inadequate, left you feeling more broken left, left you feeling like there's something defective in, about you you've got to ask Jesus to deal with that in your eternal, ask Jesus to let that go, ask Jesus to place his value back in your spirit, back in your life why don't we just raise our hands this morning and I want to pray for those things. And as we are these days, you know, it's you know, not possible for you, for you to all come out the front for me to lay hands on you. But Jesus can reach you right where you are at the deepest level today and start to do something supernatural and powerful that is life-changing right where you stand. So Lord, I just pray right now, Father, we give you our eternal. We invite you to deal with the things on our inside that only you can touch, that only you can take away. Lord, we've tried in our strength, we've tried in our willpower, but we still found ourselves going back where we didn't want to be, saying things we didn't want to say, doing things we didn't want to do. But Lord, we just say, will you do a cleansing in our hearts this morning? Will you, will you do a change from the inside out that causes the outside expression to be seen as different? Lord, we just pray that in Jesus' name, we invite you where we've wanted to give up, we say, Jesus, give me strength again. Lord, when we've been hearing the voices have told us you should do this and you should do that, you need to be different. Lord, we just release that over to you. We forgive those who said those things. We release it into your hands and we want to walk out of this place free of those uh, words that have been unhelpful, maybe from a good, a good intention, but have been unhelpful to us. So I just pray, set people free. We cut those words off and we, we invite Jesus into our heart to help us to deal with those things from heaven to us. Just pray that in the mighty name of Jesus this morning. So we just want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We want to thank you for the changes that we're going to see in our lives. And I just pray that over you today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. You can take your seats. Thank you, Michael.